I've got a firm belief that everyone acts a certain way, not because they're angry or they're wealthy or they're not wealthy, it's just because of their surroundings and the way they've been brought up. During our lives, we make thousands of connections, but only a very few of those run deep. To have that jumper and, and what it represents or what it signifies was more than just football, it was more about, like I said, the sacrifices she'd made to allow me to wear that jersey. Hey there, my name is Mark Fennell and this is Hey Guess What, presented by Telstra. A podcast all about the biggest moment in your life and most importantly, the people you wanted to share those moments with. And everybody's had those moments. It's that time in your life where you've done something, you've nailed it, you've achieved the dream. Who is the person that you want to reach out to in that second? You know the saying, news isn't real until you tell somebody? This is about that moment. So today, a guy who is currently one of Australia's greatest sportsmen. Stats-wise, because in sport, sometimes that's what it's about, he's 6'7", he's 101 kilograms and has the agility of a much smaller man. That is part of what makes him a champion, but this guy is so much more than that. That's where you want to... Nick Natanui played his first game of Australian rules football at the age of nine. Absolute natural athlete who could have excelled in athletics or basketball, but AFL has in many ways been his saviour. Raised by a single mum, a tether, in Perth after his dad, Bowler, died when he was two, Nick, or Nick Nat to his many fans, is enormously proud of his Pacific Island heritage, his West Australian roots, and of course, his West Coast Eagles. And mid-pandemic, he took the time out of his training schedule to jump on a Zoom chat with us. And it was an amazing chat about everything from family to football. And of course, most importantly, what makes him tick? I think with anyone I I meet, I want to be approachable. Um, I don't know. I think the way that I was brought up, I've I've learned to care about everyone, but also not judge everyone. So um, at times it's got me in trouble. At times it's put me in good stead, but... Uh, I'd hope to think that I give everyone a fair chance and a fair go. And yeah, I'd probably want them to feel that way every time I met them. You know what I actually want to know? I want to know the first time you, you got the nickname Nick Nat. I want to know, do you remember when that happened? It's funny, the name Nick Nat, like, so So my name, I'm from Fiji originally, and uh, my surname is pronounced Natanui. But uh, uh, in Australia, you come to Australia and everyone says Nick Natanui. And that's what the commentators say in the game. And yeah. from there on, like any typical um, Australian, you get a slang and it just became Nick Nat. I, I like it, but at times I hate it. You know, sometimes you're, you're walking down the street and you hear people yell out Nick Nat or little kids on the side of the fence, Nick Nat, Nick Nat, Nick Nat. Mm. And um, oh, it's, it's now become a, a part of, I guess, my makeup now. All right. So look, this is a, it's a series about like defining moments and, and connections. And I guess this seems like a, a big question to launch in with, but... If I was to ask you, what is for you the most defining moment of your life? Like, what would you pinpoint? Yeah, I'll probably have a few, but I think the biggest one, um, I guess, in terms with with my career, um, particularly, is being told I was going to play my first game. That's something mm-hmm. that probably mm-hmm. stood out for me, and um, yeah, it's, it's a highlight in my life. Yeah, obviously, my whole life I'd, I'd played sport and whatnot, and uh, being from a Fijian family, uh, AFL football wasn't. Oh, no, it wasn't big. It, was, it wasn't a thing at all. Um, <laughs> there were no Fijians in the game. My, my whole family um, played rugby. And I guess uh, when my mum came to Australia, like my family did, um, 
you know, a lot of families that come from from overseas want their children to, you know, get a good education, get a good job. And um, trying to convince my mum that playing a sport that she was that was foreign to her and to my family for a living was um, was uh, oh, was beyond, I guess, thinkable for for them to, you know, think I'm going to make a career from it. So I pursued it a lot as a young kid. I um, you know, put a lot of hard work and effort into it, and ah, oh, there was. Happy times. There was a lot of tears. There was, um, you know, times that you know we didn't have much growing up. So having to convince my mum to to buy new two hundred dollar footy boots or, or pay for footy fees was uh, was hard. But so I think you know when I was told that I was going to play my first game, um, it was almost a sigh of relief, but also a sense of, I guess, proving that all the hard things that we went through um, was all worth it. And it was almost like it was the the time that it was all getting paid off. So. You know, I was excited and, you know, over the moon and whatnot. And I actually called, I have a twin brother. I have a twin brother, Mark. So he was the first person I called at the time. And, uh, yeah, I rang him and, and told him the news. And I guess we share, <laughs> being a twin's hard, you, you share everything. You share birthday presents. You, you share the same birthday. You share everything you have. You either get half of it or you have one of each. He gets the red one, I get the blue one. So <laughs> I thought... Who better to share my story or, or my excitement with than my twin brother? So, uh, I don't know, me being me for some reason, I should have known better. was expecting this uh, big yelp or a scream of excitement, but he was kind of like, yeah, cool, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like um, if I wanted a big reaction, I should have called either my mum or some of my friends because, um, yeah, he gave me nothing, but it, it'll, it'll definitely be memorable for that reason in particular. From talking to Nick, you very quickly get this sense that football is football very important, but family means something else entirely. And that bond started really young. So his parents, Bola and Ateta, moved to Australia just before Nick and his twin brother, Mark, were born. But that Pacific heritage of community, that stayed with the Natanui family. Fijian kind of village lifestyle is everyone lives with everyone. Like it's, um, you know, I've got about 300, 400 people in my village back home and uh, you know, like you can walk from house to house and not see your kids for three days and know that they're safe. Your father passed away when you were two. To the extent that you're happy to share, can I can I ask, how much of him do you remember? Yeah, so it's limited. I guess the majority of the things you do remember is through uh, stories that are passed on or, or through photos. So myself and my brother were only two at the time. Uh, so yeah, the memories are very faint, but Oh, they're, they're happy memories. They're good memories, um, if anything. So, uh, yeah, it was obviously a tough time for, for my mother in particular. And, yeah, it wasn't until her brother, um, you know, moved over to Perth in Western Australia that she decided, um, you know, it was a, a good opportunity to go and be around family and, um, you know, have some family around us as well. Um, my mum's brother got a job in, in one of the mines in northern Western Australia and he had a little home base with, uh, his children and that uh, in Perth. So, yeah, we, we um, after my dad passed away, we, we moved across. So, um, yeah, been in Perth ever since. So, mum worked at Homes West, is that right? Yeah, mum worked for a, a number of things. She worked for the, the Women's Refuge and, and some of the youth shelters. And, um, yeah, she worked with a lot of homeless families or, or struggling families. So, uh, like I said, at times it was, it was fun um, being around that and it's probably, you know, pushed me in the direction I you know, I now work in outside of footy, but also at times, I'm not going to lie to you, it was annoying. Uh, her workplace became an um, extension of my household. So not only are you contending with sharing with a twin brother, but you're sharing with all the children from her work as well. So um, we'd have them over for Christmas, for Easter, everything. So 
um, yeah, mum really enjoyed the, the work that she did. Do you think that focus on sort of social impact and community, do you think some of that transferred onto you in those early days? Yeah, 100%. I think um, some of the learnings I took away from, from what my mother did, um, yeah, is makes up a big part of me. Um, and it probably is, you know, the probably most influential thing about the way I, I act towards people or, um, like I said at the start, I, I, I don't really, I give everyone a fair go. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've got a firm belief that everyone acts a certain way, um, not because they're, they're angry or they're, you know, they're wealthy or they're not wealthy. Um, it's just because of their, their surroundings and the way they've been brought up. So, um, yeah, I think helping, helping others out, you know, I, I was helped out when I first came to, uh, well, my family were, were helped out when they first came to this country. So um, I also feel a need that I have to give back as well. Is it true that when you were a kid, you were sort of in charge of getting everyone to school when you were growing up? Is that true? You know, even growing up in my teenage years as well, was, um, you know, not having my father around, uh, we had to take a bit of responsibility. And we had, my, myself and my twin brother in particular had to grow up really quick. And we learned some life skills um, at a very young age. So, you know, we could cook, we could clean, we could do it all, um, you know, while we we're still in primary school. And you build that independence and, I guess, self-sufficiency um, along the way as well. Do you ever wish you had a bit more time to just to just be a kid? Like, you, do you ever wish you didn't have to grow up as fast as you did? Um, at times, like I missed out on a bit having to, you know, um, sacrifice or having to sacrifice some of that stuff. But I'm not going to lie to you. Once you make it as a footballer, a lot of perks come with it as well. So you're able to be a kid. You can go to Toy World and get free toys. You can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> My, my favorite subject at school was, was um, physical education and pretty much, I'm not going to lie to you, like we do train hard, but we do phys ed all day, every day. So I am, um, <laughs> I'm living out my childhood dream so, <laughs> as an adult, so I can't complain that I've missed out. That's a new Nick's growing up was, I think, safe to say pretty different to a lot of us. I mean, he was an absolutely gifted athlete in basketball. And if you do get a chance, uh, check out his slam dunk skills from this Perth Wildcats game on YouTube. It's amazing. He was also gifted at high jump. In fact, later in life, he was even offered scholarships to US colleges in athletics. But somehow, Australian rules football won out. I remember walking home from primary school and uh, I always carried a basketball with me. Um, and I saw these kids, my next door neighbours, um, one went on to play for Carlton and one went on to play for, for Fremantle Dockers and they uh, were walking and kicking this funny shaped uh, kangaroo leather thing at the front of their house and, I, and they were bouncing it. And I was, I'm thinking, how are they bouncing this weird shaped ball like that? So I remember going over and, and asking and, and they showed me how to do it and how to kick it. I still, I still can't kick it properly. <laughs> I'm a professional footballer, but I still can't kick that well. Um, but they, they taught me the, the basic skills and yeah, from then on, I, you know, I went down and joined the local footy club and, and I just fell in love with the game. I've heard you talk a little bit about, um, you know, being pretty, this, you know, tall, dark skinned, curly haired kid at school and being, you know, really standing out and feeling quite alienated for, I guess, for people listening that don't know what that experience is like, kind of put me in that, in that headspace. What, what was that? What were those years like? Yeah, it was tough. I guess, um, I've always grown up being the odd one out. I've been the minority in, in anything I do. Like, uh, it's just the fact of growing up where I did and living where I do, no one really looks like you. So 
for me, it was hard, especially playing football. I, I, I used to cop it a fair bit out in the footy field from, from other kids. Um, you know, things like, what are you doing out here? You're lost. Uh, this game's not for you. And as a kid, like you had to have a fair bit of resilience to get through some of that stuff because it did. I'm not going to lie to you, it did hurt. But um, it also fueled me on to get better and prove these guys wrong. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I, I knew that I had some talent and I, you know, I wanted to provide for my family as well. So that was a driving force. I used it as a driving force to get better. And, yeah, it, it was hard because I didn't really have any heroes or any idols that played the sport um, that I could that resembled me. So, mm. I, um, you know, every kid had a kid, you know, every um, Australian kid would have, a, you know, an idol that, you know, looked similar to them or played similar to them. Um, and I didn't really have someone who was tall, dark and had an afro in the AFL um, as much as I wish there was. And, you know, now, I, like I said, I, I kind of feel like I've, I've filled that void a little bit where, where there's children now, um, you know, who are of a similar descent or um, come from, a, from an overseas background that, can relate to my story and, um, you know, have someone they can idolize. So it was tough, but like I said, it's, it's, I've been using it as fuel for my, my entire career. There's a, like a terrible cliche with um, really talented athletes that they do sort of acquire a sense of entitlement. And I guess um, what I'm curious about is, do you reckon your mum and your family has been a pretty good check against that by sort of like keeping you, keeping your head and your feet on the ground? Oh, definitely. Like, there's, there's no better, uh, how can I say it? There's no better humbling experience for me than going back to my village. And it's not for the sense that there's not much, you know, wealth or money there. It's more the fact that, oh, how do I put it bluntly? They, they don't give a stuff about you. <laughs> I think the best experience, especially early days, when I'm, when I'm 19, 20 years old at, at the West Coast Eagles, a big club in, in Australia, um, you know, you're on billboards, everyone knows your name. You've got jerseys with your name on the back and your number and kids wearing it. And then you fly to the, the village back in Fiji and, um, you know, they're telling you it's time, your turn to chop the wood or, or wash the dishes um, outside. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shock, but I loved it. Like, at the time, I'm thinking, I don't need to be doing this. I can afford to go stay in a hotel. Or I could get a new, you know, I can get a dishwasher for the house over here. <laughs> um, they didn't care. Like, there's only, it's funny, I've got older cousins who are the same who play rugby internationally. And um, only in Fiji would you see a six foot eight big bulky guy still gets smacked by elderly people in the village. Uh, no matter your status, no matter how big you are on the world stage, um, you're just an everyday person back in the village. So I think my family, I, I thank them so much for, for keeping me humble. You said something that I thought was really interesting earlier, which is that you, 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 you had already kind of processed pretty young that you could support, you could potentially support your family with your playing. How early were you when you worked at that that was actually something that this, this thing that you were quite good at could ultimately end up like making, like supporting your family? Yeah, I was probably about 14 or 15. Um, you know, beforehand, I, I thought I could do that. I, I took my schooling really serious. I, I, whatever I, you know, I took part in, I wanted to do really well because uh, growing up, we didn't, we didn't have much. So for me, it was, you know, my, my biggest goal, I sat down with one of my youth mentors at the time when I was a younger, when I was younger. Um, and my biggest goal was to buy my, my mum a house. That was the first thing I wanted to do once I got a good job and I was able to, to do so. And uh, yeah, that was my drive. That was another one of my driving forces was to buy that house. And yeah, I, you know, that fulfillment when you actually get the chance to do it, um, oh, it meant the world to me. So after a stellar career as a junior, in 2008, the AFL comes calling for Nick. He's drafted number two that year. Now, if you don't know, in the AFL draft, any of the 18 clubs could have a chance of picking you. 
but only two of those clubs were in Nick's beloved Western Australia. I remember my mum at the time, it wasn't the fact that I was going to get drafted to play AFL, it was more the fact that um, she could be losing me. I could be going over to, you know, Victoria or to New South Wales. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Call it faith, call it a blessing, whatever you want. But I was able to stay home and um, it was a win-win for me. I got to stay home at my house that I, you know, I was living in at the time with my family. My my clothes still got washed. My dinner got cooked. I I, uh, I struck gold. for pretty much day one at the Eagles, you've had the, the jersey number nine. And I'm wondering, was that a choice? Yeah, at the time, um, Ben Cousins' number was available. And uh, they did ask me. They did question and say, do you really want this? Do you, you know, there's a, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of baggage with this number. Did you ever hesitate? Just because, I mean, it goes without saying, Ben Cousins has, there's a lot of stuff, like, as you say, baggage around Ben. Did you ever hesitate for any of those reasons? Uh, I did a little bit. I'd be lying if I say I didn't. But... Um, I was willing to, you know, to carry on his number and, you know, his on-field legacy in particular. And, and like I said, I came from a background where I grew up in a, a pretty low socioeconomic area uh, in Midland and WA. And, you know, guys facing drug issues or, you know, battling their own demons was, was the norm to me. Like, I, it was nothing that was foreign or, uh, you know, for outsiders, they see it and they, they can't really empathise with it. But I, you know, I grew up around it every single day. So... Um, seeing Cuzzy's off-field dramas was, oh, it was nothing really that, you know, mm. put me off wearing the number nine job. But I just thought, you know, that comes part and parcel with the human being. And, um, you know, that's the past. And maybe I can build my own reputation with this number as well. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think so that I've that I've done that, you know, to a, a pretty good extent. But, yeah, there's still a bit more to come. For somebody that doesn't have a, a sporting background and probably kind of just sees it on the screen. What is What are those early days like where you've, you've just been signed to an AFL team? You're sort of in so many ways living out this dream. Take me back to those those early days. What was so, what was that experience like for you? It was hard, uh, especially in a town like Perth. Like everyone knows every footballer, everyone knows what you do on and off the field. As a 18, 19-year-old, it was, it was pretty cool, especially after playing your first few games. Like, I don't know, you know how it is as a teenager. You get straight into nightclubs, you get a given drink cards, you, every yeah. girl in the club knows your name. And my mates thought it was the best thing ever. They thought, this is amazing. We, we normally line up for half an hour in a <laughs> nightclub line, and now we're getting straight in and we're getting a little booth. So um, it, it was good fun. It was good fun, but then you, you slowly, I guess, mature, um, and, you, and you mature really quickly and put it all into perspective and think, you know, this isn't the life or, um, you know, I'm here to play footy and you can easily, I can easily see how guys get caught up with, you know, making it as an AFL footballer. Mm. Um, so, you, yeah, reassessing goals and wanting to achieve more was, um, you know, a big thing that probably drove me away from getting caught up in the limelight of being a professional athlete. Um, you know, like I said, my, my background as well with, with what my family did or my mum did in particular for work kind of always reminded me that, you know, there's people struggling out there and even though you're on a TV screen and you're a footballer, you're, you're not bigger than or better than anyone else. Yeah, oh, Nadanui! Even higher than the last one! How good was that? Oh, it's the hottest ticket in, well, probably Australia. Come and watch Nick Nadanui do his thing. From Nick's AFL debut in 2009, he was named in the 2010 AFL Rising Star Squad, All-Australian, 2012-2014. I mean, it, look, it's, it's a big career. There's over 167 games and still counting over 100 goals. Amazing career. But 
That said, it would be fair to point out that injury has denied him the ultimate dream of a premiership. Nick's injuries, particularly to his knees, have been very much the low points in his career. 2016, he ruptured his left ACL. He missed the rest of 2016, the entire 2017 season. Then, ah, it kills me. In 2018, after 15 games back, same injury, this time to the right ACL. I think the biggest thing is that um, you've you've had the the thing that you love taken away from you. So physically, you want to go and do what you want to do and, you know, you look forward to it every every weekend. But, you know, especially long-term injuries, you're you're sidelined for a long time and you're, you know, you're training on your own. You you feel like a bit of a leper on the outer. The physical pain that you have to overcome and endure is is pretty tough. But I think the mental side of things is, is just as hard, if not harder. Plus, I guess it's exacerbated a bit by the media you know everything mm. you do is publicized it's on the back page of the paper it's on the front page of the paper it's on tv so um you know you, you're constantly hearing about your injury all the time mm. um in 2015 your your mum atetha passed away i firstly can i just say i'm i'm sorry that's an awful thing for anybody to contend with um but for you what how do you because you, you you've got a job that puts you in such public eye and you're relying on your body and your emotions to do absolutely everything. How do you take that step by step? Yeah, that was that was probably the toughest part of my life. Like I, I think the biggest thing, like you just mentioned, is everything's publicised. So normally you can grieve and you can uh, be sad in your own time and and do it in privacy. But you know, it's on the it's in the paper, it's on the news. Um, everyone knows about it, and. Everyone checks in on you to make sure you're okay, but sometimes that gets overwhelming. You know, it was around finals time with, with the AFL and our team had a really good year and, um, yeah, I had to fly back. There was, a, there was a chance where I didn't want to come back. I, I was in my village and I was, you know, I was distraught and I, I thought, you know, put footy into perspective and, uh, mm. you know, I wanted to be around family. I didn't really care about, you know, going out and performing on a weekend. Um, we made the grand final that year and it was a sad time, like the... The grand final parade, for, for those that don't know, is you know it's, it's the biggest moment for most guys um, in their career um, leading into the game. And you know you've got a hundred thousand people lining the streets of Victoria, and and they're all cheering for you, and you know, or or they're yelling at you because they don't like you because they're going for the opposing team. So it's all the atmosphere. Everyone's over there, all their families and that. And I, I do remember myself, my twin brother, uh, the night before the game. We that parade feels like a blur. I don't really remember too much of it, but we sat in my room and. We, we laughed, we cried, like we cried for hours. Uh, we didn't say much, we didn't talk much, but it was um, it was more about, you know, mum had provided and sacrificed so much uh, for me to get to that point and she wasn't there to, to witness it in person. Mm. But to know that she was there in spirit was, was a big thing for me. And, yeah, we, um, you know, we, we ended up playing the game the, the following day. I hadn't had much sleep and uh, we lost, <laughs> which wasn't nice. And everyone's in a, set, in a change room sad and crying and, you got me, you know, in the in the corner crying as well, and it's compounded by what had happened a few weeks earlier. Um, and you know, it, it probably was a big wave of emotion that hit all at once. And yeah, it's one of those things that um, I'll never forget. But it also builds that fire to get back and you know, and playing in a grand final um, because uh, I want to make my myself and my family proud, but also I want to um, I want to make my mum proud. Um, so. Yeah, they were they were trying times, but I think they build they build a lot of character as well during you know some of those those hardships you do face. Mm. 
I understand, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong here, is that um, your mum is buried with your number nine jersey. Why was it important for you to do that? Yeah, I actually, um, I, I forgot about that. I, um, I, it was big for me. Like, my mum has always been my number one supporter. Um, you know, whether whether I, I don't touch the football at all, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm the worst in the field, she still thinks I'm the best player ever. Um, so that's that's been the biggest thing for me. And so to have that jumper and, and what it represents or what it signifies was was more than just football. It was more about, like I said, the, the sacrifices she'd made to allow me to wear that jersey. And, um, yeah, I put my jersey in there with her and, ah, oh, I just hope one day when I go to heaven, she's uh, she's got that jersey waiting for me to wear up there again. So, I um, yeah, it's a big moment for me, big moment. Nick, I know this stuff um, isn't necessarily easy to talk about, and you're uh, you're stunningly like clear-minded about it in ways that I think a lot of people wouldn't be. So it's uh, before we there's obviously more things I want to ask you, but I just want to take a second to just say thank you for 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 being so generous with this stuff because I know it's not altogether the easiest stuff to talk about. No worries, mate. It's um, like I said, it's all part of life, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to happy to share. I know your faith is a big part of, of who you are, and actually, on your Instagram, uh, you've got a quote from Romans eight thirty one. Uh, what then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Which, by the way, it's a classic. But what does uh, what does that want? What does that mean for you? It, it means a bit to me. I've um, I've always lived by that, and and thought you know that. I've got someone that's on my side and that's looking after me and it probably just teaches me not to, not to fear anyone really, like especially, you know, in the, in the footy context, like I'm not going to fear any man on the field because um, I've got God on my side and that's something I probably use in my everyday life as well. So, Is it true that you lead uh, like a prayer before games? Yeah, we do. I didn't know you knew about that. <laughs> Mate, I do my research. <laughs> I going to say you're a fly on the wall of that footy club at the moment. I, um, I've never told anyone that, I don't think. I don't know. I um yeah we, we have chapel um about oh, maybe forty minutes before we we play. It's something that you know is is calming, and we've slowly started getting a few more people along. And some people love it for you know for uh, I guess a chance to practice their Christian faith, but also they find it as an opportunity just to have some some time to think or to relax mentally or, or switch off. Oh, man, this is getting so boring. I need something different in this training scene. I think it's time for some jet aerobics. Football, I think, is obviously very important to Nick, but it's not the only part of him. Uh, if you follow him on social media, he brings this really fun, positive, not-so-serious, I guess, attitude to life. Uh, you might know that there's a recent story where Adelaide Crows, Ruckman, Riley O'Brien accidentally tweeted their match notes after a game against West Coast, um, and in the notes, they describe Nick as lazy and unfit. And look, there are a few ways you could take that sporting sledge, but what does Nick do? Well, after they win the game, he hands the embarrassed Ruckman a gift. He hands him a brand new phone. And I think that tells you a lot about how Nick approaches not just life and football, but also how he treats people. He has this sense of fun. I've grown up around family my whole life, and children in particular have been a big part of my life and um, have always been around that. I think the biggest thing is having fun. People forget the reason we play this sport is to have fun. Like, if you're not having fun, there's no point, you know, continuing with your career. So, I like to have fun. Like, that's what life's all about. Like, yeah, there's some hard times, but if you can make people happy, that's what, yeah, you know, that's what makes you feel like you're living. 
Right now, the entire world is having a very big conversation about uh, racism. And there's a really alarming quote that I actually have read from you, which is uh, that one in 10 of the inbox messages you get during the AFL season is racial abuse, which I just find like, honestly, like Nick, I find it staggering. Are you surprised after all these years that that stuff is still coming to you and other players at the moment? No, the scary thing is I'm not surprised. Like, um, it's not not normal. Like it's it's always it's always been there, and it's it's obviously decreased a bit. But I guess being an elite sportsman, especially being a vowed stature in, in the game, and you can be as good as what you are at, at your particular profession. But there's always someone that doesn't like you, and you know there's there's always that person that doesn't like you for your your skin tone. So uh, yeah, I, I like to be honest. Like if I if I tweet something, there's always one person that would have something racial or you know, F off back to your country, things like that. Like it's all, and it, and you don't have, you don't have any accountability because you don't have to put your personal details on to make an account. Anyone can make mm. an account and, and write what they want. So for me, my biggest thing is just been trying to educate as many people or speak of, you know, some of my things along the way. So then people were, um, you know, aware of it, but also not doing it as well. And, um, and, and also allowing future generations to know that it's okay to talk about it and speak up about it. Like a, you know, as a kid, I used to just let it pass. I used to just go, ah, oh, I'll wave that one off. I'm used to it. That's just another person. But now, I find it hard as well at times now to, to bite my tongue and not respond. Like, there's been so many times where I just want to message them back, but um, you can't. You just give them a voice. You give them a platform, which they don't deserve. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed it does, you know, it is eradicated at some stage. But to be, to be fair, just to be real with you, like, I don't think it ever will. Obviously, right now in the US, the Black Lives Matter movement, and indeed in the world, the Black Lives Matter movement is is really changing the conversation. And you posted something recently about the crisis in the US, which is um, all love from my end, but saying all lives matter is like going to a cancer fundraiser and saying there are other diseases. It's like, yes, every life matters and is of equal importance slash significance. But right now we are highlighting black lives. Like that's a really powerful statement and I've seen it a a few times. Why was it important for you to get that idea across to people? Oh, I think um, the majority, like that tweet that I put out there was, was, it was probably weighing heavily on my heart. Like I wanted to say something and, um, you know, I sat there and pondered for a while about what I could say and um, I'd heard people say all lives matter and all lives do matter and I just wanted a way to express that, um, you know, at the moment, people are talking about black lives and, and some of the injustice that's, that's going on, um, not only in America, but around the world. And it's also given people a platform or a voice to talk about some of the stuff they face, you know, through racism or, or through having dark skin in their life. And uh, a lot of people have, and it's, it just, it's probably sparked the conversation. Like a lot of people wouldn't have understood some of the things that black people do face in their lives. They might have a small inkling about what may have under, you know, under, taken over the years or what had happened but to get people to speak about it and give their personal insight and their personal stories about what's happening um, I think it's been beneficial mm. at times it can be taken out of context like that tweeting for instance for instance um, it cops some backlash people were you know having a go at me for talking about cancer and whatnot and, and saying what saying what I said and saying that all lives matter and I think with anything if you don't want to learn or you don't want to see if you want to argue the point you can, you can argue the point so uh, for me I wasn't out there trying to um, convinced people that didn't want to understand. It was more so just letting people know why, 
you know, just giving them a perspective about why people were saying what they're saying. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing though, right? I mean, I remember the thing you were saying at the beginning of the conversation about the fact that when you were starting out, there was nobody that looked like you. There's got to be... And it doesn't solve like it doesn't solve racism writ large, right? But there is an immense power in you being there because it means so many other young kids coming up can go, there's that guy and he looks like me, he looks like my brothers, he looks like my dad, and that is an opportunity. That is a career I can have. And there's immense power in that almost by itself. Who inspires you? Like at the moment? Who inspires me? Yeah. I think I, I, I draw inspiration from everybody. Like I, I try to find good in, in what everyone does and and think, how can I learn from that? People who just give up their time for the love and the passion of, of helping others. But I'm like, especially times like this, it really puts it into perspective. When there's crisis, Nick Natanui is not going to save you. Um, the local doctor is, or the local nurse is the one that's going to save you. They're, they're the ones that are putting in the hard yard. So you can idolize and look at us as role models, but I see those people as, as the real heroes out there. When you're, uh, when you're 40 or 50 years old, what do, you, what do you reckon you want to be doing by that point? I think the biggest thing for me, the legacy I want to leave is is helping others and, and bringing and using footy. Um, so I've always said that I, I like to use football as a vehicle for, for social inclusion or for, for promoting social inclusion. And for me, my family were introduced to Australian families through this funny shaped football. Um, so if I'm able to do that with other families I meet along the way and just bring people together, um, yeah, that'd be something I'd love to do for the rest of my life. Mm. What do you think, uh, Bola and Atetha, mum and dad? What do you think they would have say? What do you think they would say if they could see all that you've achieved, not just <laughs> on the sporting field, but with the kids' books, with the academy? What do you think they'd say about what you've done? Yeah, I think first and foremost, they'd tell me to get a haircut. <laughs> it's not neat. Oh, that was the biggest thing. I think having these dirty, scrappy dreadlocks, it's time to go. So they'd say, clean your act up first and foremost. But. Um, no, in all serious, seriousness, I think they'd be proud. I think they'd be happy with what I've done so far. But like I said, it's only part of my story. Um, I still, fingers crossed, have a, long, a lot more to teach, a lot more to tell. And, um, yeah, I hope they're looking down and, and they're proud of what I've done and I've achieved and who I've become so far. Mm. I mean, the impression I get from talking to you is that that your, your relationship with your mum was has you know, it's not just obviously she's your mum and she loved you. It seems also like there was a bunch of values that were there that you seem to have carried on in your work, not just on field, but with other things like the books, like the academy. Yeah, I think like any children, you you learn some of those values, some of those morals from a very young age and they become instilled in you for the rest of your life. So uh, fingers crossed, um, I can be half the person she was uh, and, and be half as caring as what she was. So, uh, yeah, I think that's been the biggest part of my makeup. I want to say a very big thank you to Nick for taking the time to chat to me and to you for taking the time to connect with this podcast. Uh, Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Each episode, we have got unique stories of people connecting at the most pivotal moment of their lives. And if you like the show, please leave a review so other people could find it. It's actually a very helpful way people can locate stuff. My name has been Mark Fennell. Thank you for joining us on Hey Guess What? Presented by Telstra. And I'll catch you next time.